Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. In case this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists who use this time to talk about everything that's been going on in the industry and all of the cars we've been driving lately. And uh, you know what, Ben? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it on over to you. What have you been driving lately? Well, I, I was going to start with a deep emotional confession about what my life's been like for the last week or so. But seeing as you kind of put me in a box and said we had to talk about cars, I'll tell you about the 2018 GMC Canyon turbo diesel. Ooh, and a Canyon is a great way to describe your emotional depth. It's very deep. Um Tell me about this Canyon, though. I, I actually really like the Canyon because it's a mid-sized truck. It fits a lot of people's needs and lifestyles. Tell me a little bit more, though, about it. Well, it's funny you should say mid-sized. So I, I've owned it, a lot of pickup trucks, and uh-huh. the mid-sized trucks of today are very much the same size of the full-size trucks I used to own back in the – well, I owned them in the 90s, but they were 80s and 90s era trucks. So – I have to agree with you, though, in terms of form factor, because I, right now I live – when I was growing up, I didn't live in a city. So the size of the mm-hmm. truck didn't really matter to me. I had long beds, single cabs. It was it was perfectly fine for my rural upbringing. He's but, describing the truck, folks, not his lifestyle with his long bed and always a cab on his own. Wow. The truck. Wow. Um, yeah. So moving past that conversational derailment. <laughs> the Canyon is pretty decent in the city. The, the version I had was the crew cab, the four-door, mm-hmm. uh, with, a, I assume, a short box. I believe it was around five feet. You can get a slightly longer box if you want. But uh, these days, I have to think about things like parking in small spaces because I have a garage in, in my home, but you have to access it via an alley, and that alley is behind my house, and you get to the alley from another alley. So, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the Ronin of, of parking situations in that you have to squeeze through all these tiny alleys on the way to eventual parking success. And right. that's not easy to do in a full-size truck. You can do it. I prefer not to. It's tough because I have people parking on either side of me, mm-hmm. and getting the truck around that mid-bed fulcrum where I have to turn <laughs> it, it's just, it's hard, okay, especially so at like night. Okay, so in a smaller truck? In a smaller truck, it's easier. It's not easy, but it's easier. And smaller trucks are also easier if you're parallel parking or if you're trying to find a parking spot underground in a city. It's just simpler all around. You can see the the uh, front and the rear of the truck much much more easily from the driver's seat. You don't have to rely as much on parking assistance or video cameras showing you where the bumpers are, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So for all those reasons, I like the Canyon and it's Chevrolet twin, the, the Colorado and the Tacoma is pretty good too, although I feel it's kind of fallen behind GMC in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. this particular truck is special because it has a four-cylinder diesel engine and you, right. can't, you can't get that in any other midsize truck. In fact, until very recently, there was only one other pickup on the market outside of the heavy-duty world that had a, a diesel engine. And that would be the Ram 1500. Yes, which no longer has a diesel engine. The diesel engine is in limbo. It might come back. It might not. But have no fear because Ford makes a diesel now in the F-150. And there is also a diesel in the GMC Sierra and the Chevrolet Silverado coming up in, in the fall of this year, I believe. That's right. Uh, you actually made me feel really good about myself remembering that trivia about trucks. I don't get to drive trucks all too often. So remembering what truck had the eco diesel uh, was, was a lifelong 
journey real life well you know considering what you did with that truck that we did let you drive i think you're lucky that <laughs> you're out of, you're, you're not behind bars but the i think you also need to stop downplaying your truck knowledge trucks are just vehicles like cars i'm gonna be controversial okay. and say there's not a huge difference between them you don't have to be a special person to know about cars versus trucks if you mm-hmm. like both that's totally cool and we hope that you do because we're going to be talking about both on the podcast but um either way sammy just you know buck up and, and get that confidence up because y- you can do this all right so back to your um your canyon with the turbo diesel what how big is this engine two point something two, eight two point eight liters okay which and is pretty that, big yeah. for a four-cylinder engine yeah it's pretty big it's really big actually most i've seen i've heard of some six cylinders being that big um what's it like how does it feel well it feels good but if you look at the numbers on 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 the spec sheet you might be a little disappointed because it has 181 horsepower which is 120 less more or less than the v6 motor which you can get with the vehicle but if Mm -hmm. you look at the torque figure you get 369 pound feet of torque and that's a pretty big improvement the the 3.6 liter V6 that comes with the Canyon, there's also, I believe, a four-cylinder Canyon, but the 3.6, which would be the most powerful engine, it only has 275 pound-feet of torque. So again, you're dropping about 120 horsepower, but you're gaining close to 100 pound-feet. And, and do you feel any of that on the road? It's interesting that you ask that question because the way a diesel engine typically delivers power is super different from a gas engine. Gas mm-hmm. engines rev high usually to generate power unless they're huge. I mean, if you have a huge displacement engine, it doesn't have to rev that mm-hmm. much. If you have a turbocharger, you can generate torque down low. Uh, but these pickup trucks like this naturally aspirated V6 in the Canyon, you're going to be revving it most of the time if you want power. Um, with the diesel, it's the opposite. The, the, the torque comes on very, very immediately. Uh, but it's not like a rush of torque. It's not the 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 red light of the engine is like right around 5,000 RPM. So you're not. It's it's a slow revving engine, but it feels quicker than it actually is because when you're driving around town, you have all that torque to dip into anytime you want. On the highway, it accelerates <laughs> decently quick. Um, you'll probably notice it at higher speeds when you're passing. You can't just step out and expect it to surge forward. But you're never gonna feel like the vehicle's slow, which I appreciate, uh, especially in this class of vehicle, because you're probably going to be hauling something with it. If you bought the diesel engine, you're either buying it for one of two reasons. One is fuel economy. Two, mm-hmm. you need to tow. And you can tow, right. um, I believe, uh, what is it, 6,000? No, it's, it's going to be more than that, Sammy. It's it's the, it's a six-speed automatic versus an eight-speed in the gas engine, but it, the towing numbers on, on the, the Canyon have got to be higher than I'm looking at six six thousand two hundred pounds. Do you have that's better? Not, that's not very much. I mean, I've heard of other trucks do put, hauling that um, crossovers uh, or unibody crossover. Yeah, let me see much. if I can find. Okay, Please. I'm sorry. The actual capacity is seven thousand six hundred pounds. So that's very good. It's okay. not it's not yeah. full size good, but that's close to what you would get from a number of full size SUVs, for example, or or mid mid size I should say SUVs. And uh, you're getting it in a vehicle that's a lot easier to maneuver. And that's something else to remember when you have a trailer. When you double the length of your vehicle, you're going to have a hard time fitting it places. If your tow vehicle has a a smaller wheelbase, shorter wheelbase, sorry, than a full-size pickup, it's going to be easier to tow. Okay. Um, So did you get to do any towing with this truck? I did not. I almost 
so I, I didn't really think when I scheduled it. I had a track day that weekend, and mm-hmm. I was only in town for three days out of the seven. And as a result, I wasn't able to line up a trailer to tow my dad's into the track. I ended up driving it. Okay. Um, I would have liked to it tow happens. with it. Yeah, it happens. Uh, okay, then did you did you transport any tires with your? <laughs> I did. Mechanic? I transported so many tires. Okay, Hannah. and yeah. what was it like to do to to work with there? Oh, it's fine. It, the truck had a. It's like a latch on vinyl um, bed cover. And uh, it uses Velcro and snaps on it so that you can unsnap it from the back and then you kind of roll it towards the front. And I took it, I rolled it all the way to the front because I wanted to just throw the tires and I had about eight tires in there. Is, is that exciting for you, Sammy? That there were yeah, tires? Yeah, that's a lot of tires. Yeah. So uh, it was just easier to load them that way. I also want to note, I mentioned fuel economy earlier. It's about 23 miles per gallon combined for for this truck and 28 miles per gallon on the highway that's really 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 good for a pickup and uh around town it wasn't great Uh, it's rated at 20 miles per gallon i saw less than that but i was taking mostly very short trips okay that's understandable um i wanted to ask you how did it feel with the with the with the tri- with the tires in the trunk um did they shift around a lot did they did they have did you have all the uh, space for all it the was, tires yeah there was there was enough space. and were you tires on rims sorry I'm, I'm asking you too many like specific questions now but were they were the tires on rims heavy? No, you know they no. weren't on rims and Just it wasn't rubber. heavy it wasn't heavy at all i mean it's it's a negligible negligible amount of weight for any pickup it's it's not really okay. a test of anything but it was convenient and uh i had other vehicles i could have used to move the tires i had my mm-hmm. wagon but just being able to throw them in especially since i was moving eight at a time it was just way easier to do it with a pickup that being said there's so many things you can do with an suv or a crossover or a wagon that you don't need a pickup for like i could have done what i needed to do with the vehicles i already had uh i think that unless you need to tow unless you need a large open cargo area there's no real reason to buy a mid-sized pickup truck it the the Canyon and the and the Colorado drive very nicely. They're very comfortable, especially mm-hmm. compared to the models they're replacing. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it's it's a bit of a downgrade compared to some. It's it's a downgrade for driving when you look at a station wagon, and it's in some cases it can be as well when compared to an SUV. Okay, that's um, that's an interesting thing to say. I think trucks still have a place in today's market, and I think people would really enjoy the driving um, feel of a truck. I mean, most of the time, they're a little bit more rugged. They're actually, you know, so many crossovers are promising to be uh, more car-like, and when, when when I get to my chance to talk about the car, the, the vehicle I drove, that's exactly what they did with, with my car. Um, and they try to make SUVs feel less like a truck and more like a car, and that results in some things that, Yes, they're very responsive and they have some feedback, but they also end up being really stiff. And I think that's where trucks end up being a little bit more acceptable is that sometimes you get these really these big vehicles that can sop up uh, imperfect roads that can do some off roading with with ease or whatever, like without it feeling like you're actually on another another kind of road surface. And that's what I really like about trucks so far in my experience. Well, it, um, that can be true, but you have to be careful because if you start looking into things like towing packages and off-road packages, you can yeah. easily get very, very stiff with a pickup and erase all of the comfort that you were just talking about. Okay. So you, 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 you can go too far in the other direction. Uh, I had a friend of mine who took, uh, Beverly Braga, who took the, the canyon on a, a long uh, road trip. She drove through the desert um, between St. George, Utah and Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And she got close to, she got 430 miles on a single tank of fuel. 
And she thinks she could have gotten 500 if she told me if uh, it had been mostly highway. The only issue she ran into was in the mountain areas that she drove through, the truck kind of felt like a dog. And um, I I don't know if that was altitude or if it's just the way that the power band is is, uh, set up. She was driving between 1,000 and 6,000 feet. So acceleration wasn't great in that that instance. So this is a very specific type of Mm -hmm. driving. But uh, just something to keep in mind. I mean, it's not going to be a high-performance vehicle. But if I was buying a Canyon or a Colorado, I would buy the diesel. I I think it's, Mm -hmm. for my needs, I'm just going to be towing with the truck. That's all I'm going to do with it. So I I would prefer to take the efficiency and the the, the download torque over maybe better passing capability. That's really interesting you say that because I've heard that usually turbocharged, at least when it comes to gas vehicles, turbochargers help reduce the effect the impact of altitude on engines but maybe that's not the case with a with a diesel or you know what there there's probably a little bit more to it than that too um the other question i wanted to ask is this is a gmc model right the gmc canyon and what is the interior like in this vehicle does it feel like a noticeable step up into in terms of like trim level in terms of fit and finish over what over say a a chevy um what's it called Colorado. Colorado. No, not at all. They're, they're, they're almost same. identical. Yeah. And, and I was driving the all-terrain package, which is kind of mostly okay. an appearance package, I believe. Uh, it, I didn't even have automatic climate control. Oh, and that really? Kind of, yeah, that kind in of a, weirded me In a Sierra? I mean, in a GMC. Yeah, and that kind of weirded me out. Hmm. So uh, I think that that's something I would want to have if I'm paying this much for, for a, a premium. Yeah, for a premium over a regular Chevrolet model, right? Yeah, if, if the, the Canyon Crew Cab, the two-wheel drive model is 40 grand if you go up if you go up to the denali um with the diesel engine you're looking at about forty eight thousand dollars okay that's a lot of money that is a lot of money. <laughs> you can push past 50 grand if you start ordering options and accessories and all that fun truck stuff so mm-hmm. if you want to pay fifty thousand dollars for a mid-sized truck I think that's kind of a tall order. I don't know how many people are buying Denali versions of the midsize truck. I understand the business case for the full-size Sierra, but for the the Canyon, I don't I don't have those numbers, and I would really be curious to know if it's a substantial number or if most people are kind of getting the Colorado. I, I know GMC says that for them it's a lifestyle truck and it's not a, a price thing. People are buying this truck because it fits what they need to do, not because they can't afford a Sierra. But I'd love to see the numbers that back that up. So then, Ben, looking ahead, another mid-sized truck is going to be entering our market again, the Ford Ranger. And that's supposed to be coming, I think, soon, this year, I think. Any thoughts on what the Ford Ranger needs to offer in order for it to be a a really strong competitor to something like the Canyon or the Colorado? I I don't know if I can really speculate on that. It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, the Ranger is already being sold in other markets. It already has a full set of drivetrains that it's going to be bringing to the to the party mm-hmm. uh, i believe it's going to come with the diesel as well i think that ford is going to try to make their baby raptor thing happen but um they're not going to include extra power with that it's just mostly going to be an off-road package so it's going to be up against the cr2 which is a really really good truck yeah uh and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out whether ford can surpass the zr2 I'm not sure what it would take to do that. I know definitely if they made a hot rod truck that had 400 horsepower and was <laughs> tiny and crazy, then yeah, I think they could sell quite a few of those. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't foresee that in the near future. 
that's that's interesting. I mean, I I'm really excited to 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 see a car like the Ranger return, especially in the form that it's returning to now. The the previous Ranger, which was really cap- was really uh, affordable, um, was lacking a lot of creature comforts, a lot of style. I don't think it was offered in in many engine options or or trim packages. Well, towards the end, it wasn't. That's for sure. But I think that yeah. was part of its charm. I think the basic yeah. Air- I think you're right. And it was also small. It was much, much, much small. It wasn't a mid-sized truck. Mm-hmm. So it was the last compact truck you could actually buy. And uh, so this new truck, this new Ranger looks like it looks. It doesn't look re- remotely related to the old one, which is no. It's nothing know, to do with it. It's just a name. It's just a name. absolutely. And um, it looks it looks quite good. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it. But it looks more like an adventure truck than like something that's that you would buy um, instead of a an f-150 or a or a 1500 you know i think um, that the, but that could just be marketing i mean they're going to put the most adventurous face forward on this vehicle till it's actually mm-hmm. in the showroom right and then they're going to sell a whole bunch of base models like it's yeah it's, that's true you know well what you said though what you said a, a canyon starts at um 40 grand you can easily get a 1500 for that much money yeah Right? Yeah, you like can a, get like one a Sierra, for much a less 1500 or a or a silverado 1500 so if you want a more capable truck that's waiting for you. But I also so, want to say that, I mean, you and I have talked about uh, in the past that so much of the truck business is incentives-based. And mm-hmm. with full-size trucks offering ten to fifteen to $20,000 off MSRP, I mean, mid-size trucks, is, there's a similar situation going on. So it's really hard to compare pricing. It's it's tough to know. Like, it's you, you go to a dealer and you can come out with a crazy deal that you didn't think I – and mean, you would not have seen it advertised anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you never know how much the truck's actually going to cost you, especially when you start looking at features and trim levels. I mean, some trim levels are harder to move, and they get better incentives to get them out the door. And sometimes that can be a better equipped truck than you would have thought fit into your budget. Interesting. Uh, so would you recommend the, the this vehicle, or would you would you say, you know, it's a bit too expensive? But if you need to get that, that midsize with a diesel, this is the only option right now. I recommend it as someone for someone who needs a truck that can't accommodate a full size truck in their life. That's okay. that's where these trucks fit in for me. Uh, they're easy, way easier to drive than a full size in this every some... single situation, especially this... in traffic. And that's a really good point. You know, a lot of people have been saying that maybe the Ridgeline can fit in that kind of like demographic for being a really <laughs> easy to live with vehicle. But people don't really see the Ridgeline as a serious truck. Well, there's no diesel Ridgeline, and what's, what's <laughs> the towing? True. What's the towing capacity on a Ridgeline? I don't. I think I don't think it's much better than a crossover. I think it's. <laughs> I think it probably maxes around out around forty five hundred or five thousand pounds. Hmm. All right. So not a not a chance is what you're saying. Well, I I think the Ridgeline has a very specific customer. Yeah. And I don't think that that customer is buying body on frame trucks. I feel like. I feel like there's some uh, cross-shopping that happens, but for the most part, I feel like the Ridgeline is a truck that exists for people who don't want to own a truck. And I've, I've weird. I, and, and first of all, I mean, I think we, we have this discussion a lot about cars that or about trucks that seem like they're competitors but aren't quite because of um, certain construction and something like that. So like a unibody truck versus a body-on-frame truck, I want to know how many, like, casual truck buyers are looking into that or if they're real truck people who need a truck for a business for example and they're going to be looking into or they need a truck for their their regular hauling duty for example you know they go to the cottage every year or every every month and they need to to haul some stuff up to their cottage they need to know 
very certain particulars about their truck. So I always wonder what the what the split is in that kind of uh, situation. The other thing about well, you know what you just said is like if someone needs to haul something every year, just rent a truck. That's true. And 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 if you're if, even if you're hauling something once a month, just rent a truck. <laughs> there's a lot no, but there's a lot that goes with you. You buy a truck, it gets terrible fuel mileage. It's huge. You can't park it unless you're using it to do truck stuff with. You're way better off using another vehicle and then tapping into the truck world when you need a truck specifically. I mean, no one buys a cube van because they have to move house every five years. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. it's a similar kind of thing with pickups. These are available out there. You can go to Home Depot and I think it's like 25 bucks a day and you have a pickup mm-hmm. truck. You can't beat that, really. So unless you need it to tow or you need to haul all the time, stay out of the pickup truck world. It's just, it's just not necessary. Yeah. Uh, so much of that is marketing. I mean, it's it's people are pushing, you know, all oh, the active lifestyle, this and that. You can really do most of the things you need to do with a car or a crossover. And trucks are for the things you can't do beyond that, not for occasional use. I mean, if you want to buy a truck because you like trucks, that's totally cool. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to crucify people who buy trucks and then drive them around empty hauling air. That doesn't bother me. I don't have a problem. <laughs> it's a free country. You can drive whatever you want to drive. And people who complain about other people's choices are irritating. <laughs> I I love this rant, Ben. This is hilarious. It's kind of um, a reverse rant. I'm like anti-ranting. <laughs> anti-rant. The the counter rant. Um yeah. so you know what in my in my like my dream truck situation would be like I would buy it and then every weekend I would like throw up on a, a thing on class on like classified on Kijiji or Craigslist being like, hey do you need help moving crap out of your Wait, out of your place? Are you I'll that come and lonely, help. Samley? Are you that lonely? And you'd show up with like a couple of jet skis in the back. You'd be like, hey, I know you wanted to move, but I got these <laughs> sick jet skis, bro. How about we just yeah. go to the lake and we just yeah. jet ski for a while? And and that's honestly like it's a great litmus test for friendship. Whether exactly. someone immediately upon meeting you for the first time says, yeah, let's go jet ski, bro. And then, bam, friends for life. Exactly. Yo, is that a brand new uh, GMC Canyon with a diesel? Yeah, man. You want to go for a ride? Yeah, let's go. Um, so to, that to me is like, that's part of the truck charm is to be able to either help somebody each weekend. Um, I'm sure that would get tiring after a while. But anyways, that's my that's my dream. Good scenario. Samaritan Sammy. <laughs> But you know what? I'll stop stalling and uh, get to the vehicle I drove, which is something you drove recently, about a month ago. I drove the brand new 2019 Kia Sorento, and um, I drove specifically a V6, fully trimmed up version of the of the truck, uh, or a crossover, I guess is the best way to call it. And I'm really impressed with this vehicle. I always have been. I think I said that when you introduced the car on the podcast, but I had it for about, um, I had it for actually a few days, or two days. Um, which is a little bit longer than I think you had it. Is that true? Yeah, well, I mean, I had it for, I guess, a day, day and a half. Okay. Um, and um, I was, I've always been happy with this wrencher. I've always thought it to be a very good um, three-row crossover, a very good vehicle that can scale nicely in terms of what you get at the low end of the of the trim packages and then what you get at the, at the high end. It really feels like a fantastic vehicle all the way through. Um, and I think it's a good value proposition in, in that regard. I think that Kia, as we've seen with the Stinger, Kia has what it takes to compete with, with brands like, I mean, this is not, maybe this won't sound good but easily can compete with like lincoln and, Bu- and buick it can ease i think it can start to compete with acura and um lexus and cadillac in some regards as well in terms i, I, I of their, mean in terms low, of their luxury or their premium vehicles low bar they're competing with acura i mean it's, 
I think the I, I don't know like doesn't the Sorrento slaughter anything Acura makes in terms of sales? I'm sure it outsells the MDX. I'm not quite sure uh, about those sales in particular. I think it's about it. It gets about a hundred and something thousand sales sales in the U.S. It definitely cracks that hundred thousand mark, which is pretty impressive in my in my belief. Oh, definitely. Um, I think it's the best selling Kia. That's quite impressive. If you were to think about it that way, I'm I'm not sure about that. You know, I was talking about that Kia Soul last week, and that also sells ridiculously well. That's true. Um, now. What they did to the Sorento wasn't like a huge leap in any like in any reasonable way. They they added some some sportier looking front and rear fascias. Um, I like this. Have I mean, I don't think we've ever talked about the LED fog lights on these vehicles, but they're like these little ice cubes. Have you ever seen them? They look like little cubes. I I mean I have seen them. I didn't I didn't get close enough to notice the cubes inside of them. They're not cubes did inside. The cubes? They just they look like a they look like a grid of four. LED lights that are in squares, and it looks really sharp, in my opinion. Did the cubes uh, speak to you, Sammy? They do speak to me. Um, they they're like, hey, Sammy, we're cool. Um, and so wow, what? <laughs> uh, so I like this vehicle. I like the interior of it of it as well. There there's some Napa leather seats uh, in these in in the model that I had. It was uh, textured very nicely. It had like a beautiful pattern on it, something that I wouldn't expect in a Kia. It also came with all of those features that you would expect um, at the higher end of a Kia offering, but you wouldn't find them in other vehicles. Like it has venting seats, it has heated seats in the rear as well. It has a uh, heated steering wheel, it has dual zone automatic climate control, um, and you know what? It's also very versatile. That that third row, although it's pretty it's pretty tight to put people in, it folds with a 50-50 split back there, which I think yeah, is I, I wouldn't put people back there. It's, no, it's really kids only. But that, like I said, it is pretty neat that you can you can fold it whenever whichever way you want it. And that yeah. second row also features a, a 40-20-40 split, so I think that's kind of neat too. It's a super useful vehicle. Yeah. I want to point out, um, I, I was wrong about the Sorento. It sells ninety nine thousand, so it's it's a little bit below the soul. <laughs> but that's that is twice the MDX sales. So. Oh, burn! So Acura, uh, you've been you've been served. You've been served by Kia. And okay, then let's talk about the the interior of this vehicle. Um, really well finished. There's lots of soft touch materials everywhere. There's like no no seams in some of the dash um, layout, which I think is really impressive. Um, the only the only problem I had, and this is such a weird problem to have, is that I found that the the door side armrest was too short. Yes, so you, every... have, you have freakishly long forearms. Man. <laughs> I know. I know. No, no one in podcast land can see this uh, <laughs> over the glorious airwaves. But honestly, Sammy is an unusual human being from the waist up. Yeah, I mean, I, my like my hands are my. It's tough. It's my my forearms are ridiculous. I don't know what else to say. But I don't even know how you podcast it, without them hitting the microphone every ten I know, seconds. I have to. I have to put them in like I have specific you zones on my desk. You just sit on them. <laughs> yes. No, I can't sit on them because my forearms are too long. That's true. It, you can't even do the stranger right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. Okay. What were we talking about? Oh, the interior. We're talking about your forearms. Yes. They've also updated the uh, gauge cluster. They've got a digital gauge cluster now. Um, and what else do I do I like about this thing? I think that's about it. But the driving the driving dynamics are really car like. The, it does not feel like a big SUV or crossover, um, especially with that V6 all-wheel drive. It has a four-speed automatic that's very snappy. It's I Wait, haven't speed. had 
Eight uh, speed. Sorry, eight speed. Did I say four speed? I meant eight. Yeah, you did. We're podcasting from 1995. <laughs> hey, actually, some cars still have a four speed. I think the Dodge Journey with the four cylinder has a four speed on it. Is the Dodge Journey still on sale? Yes, of course it is. It's a great wow. value. What do you mean, of course it is? Like it's eternal? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you will never not be on sale. The Dodge Journey and the K car are forever. <laughs> okay. Um, the all wheel drive mode has a four-wheel drive lock mode, which um, is supposed to evenly distribute power to the front and rear axles. Um, I don't know when that would be 100% useful, but I guess maybe in the snow or if you're, yeah, if you get stuck in the snow. Um, and it can so, tow 5,000 pounds. Okay, so we're, we're yeah. in ridgeline country. We are in ridgeline. <laughs> we're definitely breaching the ridgeline. 5,000 uh, pounds is a lot, though. That, that, that's, that's right around the point where you, you're kind of like, should I really be doing this? <laughs> Maybe I should have a real truck for this, like a 1500. <laughs> also, you you mentioned this when you first drive, drove it, and I don't know if you spent a lot of time in this um, with this drive mode selector. It has this new drive mode. It's called like, first of all, they they've called it they call the whole system smart shift and drive, which I think is ridiculous. But it has a smart driving mode, which may, which like monitors the way that you drive and can detect when you're going to be in the comfort, when you want the car to act like it would be in the comfort mode, when you would want the car to act like it's in sport mode or when it can save some gas in like an eco mode. So, okay, like two questions though. Mm -hmm. How is that different from auto mode in every other vehicle? That I don't, well, I suppose auto mode is really, it's like a catch-all. It's, like it's like a jack of all trades. The way that this works, and I, there's a really neat display that shows the way that you're driving the vehicle in terms of throttle position, in terms of the way that you brake, um, and it starts to shift into whatever is the appropriate mode based on how you, um, you're driving at that moment. So if you're very throttle heavy, it'll start to realize that you are, um, and especially you know if you, you hammer on the brakes and then on the gas immediately after, it starts to realize that you're you're driving a little bit aggressively and it'll put the car into a sport mode. Um, and but if you're really like laissez-faire or maybe you're stuck in traffic, it'll it'll detect that sort of um, those sort of behaviors and it'll put the car in a comfort mode. And then when you're on the highway and you're just staying at a main like a steady speed, it'll put it in the eco mode. So I found that kind of really interesting. I mean, you could automatically do that your you can sorry, not automatically do that yourself with like the drive mode button and just select one of those modes. Um, but it's interesting that the car kind of picks it for you, tells you what it's doing and um, and matches it. What mode does it go in if you're crying so hard you can you can't even see the road ahead of you? It goes into console mode. And uh, it plays some really nice music, uh, some Beyonce music, I think. Uh, to empower you, to make you feel yeah. like things are going to be... What's the difference between console mode and console mode? Because the, the latter sounds like I'm getting an SNES classic with my Kia Sorento, which I would love, to be honest. Uh, that and be... that might make me stop crying. <laughs> I mean, in, in a world where I'm the one who's crying. In the world that you're crying, does does it like just somehow like a drone comes to your giant two-pane sunroof and like drops an SNES classic on your... On your now head? You're now you're talking. Now that's a that's a drive mode I can fully get behind. <laughs> and what would, you, like, what would you do? Drone-seeking classic video game mode. <laughs> I mean, every car should come with a drone like follow mode. Like, I, can you imagine the sport mode if it had like a drone uh, follow you with a camp, like an action cam, and you can like watch yourself on the central dash and be like, yeah, that's some <laughs> badass. Imagine how <laughs> soon, how quickly I would die if Dude. I was trying to impress the drone. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. Um, 
some of the things I wasn't too happy about the fuel economy, I don't think is uh, is anything worth um, boasting about. It gets about 21 miles per gallon combined. Um, not great, not bad, but not great. And um, you can get this vehicle. It starts around 27,000 for a front-wheel drive four-cylinder model. And the one I had will will be about $47,000, so about $20,000 difference. So you're saying it's still cheaper than the Denali uh, Canyon with <laughs> yes. diesel? Yes, and can tow 2,000 less. Um, the reason I actually was in I was in command of that vehicle was because I was comparing it to a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Now, I'll talk about that in the next podcast, um, and I can also tell you which one I liked more between the two, but I'll at least say that the Sorento is the more uh, family-friendly vehicle. It can suit more people's needs because it's um, it's more versatile in that way. It's, it's got that third row in case you ever need it. It's got a much more friendlier cabin um, in terms of materials. And the vehicle just feels more responsive. And I think that has a lot to do with that crossover um, driving style, which feels more like a car than a truck. And I, I, go ahead, Ben. I think you're no, 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 it's, it's, un, it's unrelated. So con continue your thought. I think, Ben, whenever I tell people that I compared a Jeep Grand Cherokee to a Kia Sorento, they get a little bit like of a look of concern on their face that these are two vehicles that don't quite uh, match up. But I do think that they're two of the best SUV crossovers on the market. And if you're looking for something that's big and uh, and ready to, to with all wheel drive and V6 and for a certain price point, these are two of the best that you can get no matter what, no matter what like class you're looking at. And I don't know if you, if you have a problem with that, just you know, hit me up on Twitter and I'll and I'll I'll defend I'll defend my decision. Yeah, you'll no show problem. up at your house with a pair of jet skis and you guys can bro down while you argue over SUVs on the lake. <laughs> oh, I would love that actually. Um, uh, I, I, just, I just want to interject that the the pricing I was I was looking at earlier for the GMC that was for the Denali model. The base Denali is around thirty nine. Okay. The base Canyon starts at twenty nine, but that's for like the four cylinder two wheel drive. So if you want to get the diesel. You you can't get a base model. You have to. I'm taking a look at it now, but um, I. Well, that's a little unusual. You you get well, a you can get a two wheel drive crew cab long box, and it's all of a sudden thirty seven thousand dollars. So it's like it's pretty close to the numbers that I was talking about earlier, and that's without delivery. Okay. Um. So that's those. Any questions you have about the Sorento? I mean, you drove it. Uh, I, I did drive it extensively to the point where I feel like uh, I, I feel like we're in agreement about a lot of things. Okay, cool. Now, why don't we go ahead and talk about some questions that we've yeah, received sure. we, on the podcast? That sounds good. We we had a, a few listeners reach out to us last week, um, which we always appreciate because it's great to hear what you guys want us to be talking about. Now, make no mistake, we get questions like uh, almost every week after every podcast, like, "Why are you doing this?" Why are my ears bleeding after this? Didn't, didn't this episode? <laughs> didn't this episode violate the terms of Sammy's parole? What are you wearing during the podcast? Um, how many times? How many times can Sammy say X word in the podcast before sponsorship is revoked? Um, but uh, we want to say that we got we had some people reach out to us about the Kia Soul uh, mm -hmm. that Sammy had. Um, they mentioned that there were th actually three engines in the Soul. There are. Which is true, but uh, Sammy was focusing on the 1.6 because that's the the vehicle that he drove for that comparison. So mm. we're sorry if we weren't clear about that, but that's why we focus so much on that turbo. Um, and then we had uh, Austin write into us to talk about the Veloster. So we did a bonus episode on the Veloster, the new Veloster that's just coming out. I believe mm. it just just went on sale this month. And um, he actually heard the podcast, went on and drove one. 
and he liked the car, but he was curious what we thought about the previous generation versus now, because obviously you're going to get a better deal on the previous version of the Veloster. And mm. there was a model that came out a few years ago called the Rally Edition. Yeah. And that was meant to kind of be a more performance-oriented version of the Veloster. He was curious as to whether, Sammy, you or I had driven the Rally Edition and what we thought about it. Okay, so I definitely, I've driven the Rally, and I have a lot of positive things to say about the Rally Edition Veloster, in particular that it addressed many of the issues I had with the Veloster Turbo um, in that last generation model. The rear suspension had settled down a little bit better, um, and it had that BNN, is it BNN, short shifter? I think it's what B it is. BNM. BNM, short shifter, which was really neat. And honestly, if you're going to pick up one of these last generation models on a, on a good discount, the Rally is the best one to get. However, and Ben, do you have, do you have any experience with this? With yeah, I, I've driven the vehicle as well. Uh, I found that with the Rally, they almost, so towards the end of the Veloster's run, they almost got the drivetrain right. And I yeah. say that respectfully because there was still the problem where uh, it was difficult to drive quickly because oh, you would yeah, pour it, you hang. would shift. Yeah, there would be rev hang and there would be a delay getting back on throttle. Mm. That's almost entirely gone with the 2019 and was one of the things that I, I appreciated the most about the new Veloster. Mm. You're going to still see some of that in the Rally Edition from the previous generation. Mm -hmm. You will see less of it because by that point it had gotten better, but it's not quite at the same level as the new car. And in the case of the rear suspension, the new car has an independent, multi-link independent rear suspension setup that is fully buttoned down. It is perfect. Uh, whereas the previous generation model, including that Rally Edition, still has some um, some compromise to it. And, and I, I I will throw out a wild card when when Sam, you're talking about suspension. The new car mm -hmm. comes on Michelin Pilot Sport fours. Mm -hmm. Those are absurd tires. Yeah. Those are very high-end tires. If you were to put those tires on a Rally Edition Veloster, you would see a huge performance benefit that you would that's notice true. almost immediately. So that's something to keep in mind, too. When you have an older model and the newer model comes with, you know, maybe more power, different suspension, but it also comes with better tires, those are making a huge difference. You, you see it more with very high-performance cars like the Corvette, uh, Z06, for example, is a perfect addition of a car that can have some very serious tires on it. That if you were to take those tires and put them on an older Corvette, you would you would think you were driving a different car. Right. So always keep that in mind. And one last thing to keep in mind is the style. Uh, I think Rally Editions always came in this matte blue. I wasn't sure that they came in a non-matte color. Um, I think it. I'm not sure. I think the matte might have been an option, but most of, if not all of, the ones I saw were matte. And that requires extra care and attention when maintaining that. Definitely. Um, and then the interior of these cars is hilarious because they remind me of an old, like, 80s turbocharged car, like when turbocharging was really cool. And they would. When put did turbocharging turbo stop being cool, Sammy? <laughs> uh, when. I have an answer for you. When the Chevy Trax got turbocharged. Wow. Um, wow. Massive shade on the Chevy Trax, a vehicle that has been nothing but kind and supportive <laughs> to you. Your entire career. That's very true. Um, okay, but there's like a bunch of these turbo logos all over the car, and there's like a bunch of like these blue accents throughout the the seating and stuff like that, which is always like it's, it's true. It's super. It's very humorous, almost cartoony, or or like a caricature of what a turbo sports car is like. And the, the new only thing it's missing is like a pair of turbo sneakers that also come with the car and say turbo on them. Yeah, or some like vinyls that are that uh, like some really flashy vinyls that look like lightning bolts but aren't. But you know what I mean? 
You mean decals? Vinyl decals? Yeah. Or like vinyl records no. that like like in Hellraiser like are being thrown into the crowd and eviscerating people. No, definitely not like that. Have you just okay. watched that movie? I swear you've been giving me a lot of Hellraiser references. Lately. Look, man, if you they have so much to show you. <laughs> okay, so I would say the new Veloster is a better pick over the Rally Edition, unless you can get some really ridiculous deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean deals are deals are deals, and deals if you are. like the car, that's the most important thing. Uh, I always my, my best advice I could ever give to anyone who asks me what car should I buy drive as many cars as you can because most people they end up buying the first car they drive or the first one of two cars they drive and later on they sometimes drive a friend's car and are like wow I, I really like this why didn't I know about it when I was in the market so always drive as many as you can take the time to do it don't get pressured by salespeople. Uh, it's 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 really the best way to find out what's best for you. There, there was one more question that Austin had for us. He was talking about the Mazda 3 Sport, which is a, a hatch we did not mention when we were comparing the Veloster, the Veloster Turbo to other interesting-to-drive hatchbacks. Sammy, I know you have some thoughts about that. The Mazda 3 Sport is a, is a fantastic car. It's really good. Um, and especially with that manual, that manual transmission is so good, and the 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine is equally um, it's a well, it's a well-matched um, powertrain. The reason I like this car is because it's not turbocharged, and therefore it doesn't have some of the the weird compromise that you get in a turbocharged car, which is um, some tur- some turbo delay, and it also doesn't have that weird rev hang that you just, that you mentioned before. If you rev hang in, in a non-turbo car, though, I mean, I remember the, the Civic Si, the previous generation Si, had really terrible rev hang, and it, it really sucked a lot of the fun out of driving that car. And it's it's true, the Mazda 3 does not exhibit that whatsoever. And that's that would be the real reason I would recommend that. If you're really um, a snob for the way a car feels in your hands, um, the the Mazda 3 Sport would be a really good fit for you in that case. I wish they would bring the Mazda Speed 3 back. I wish they would bring a turbocharged version back. Rev hang be damned. I want that crazy 280 horsepower going to the front wheels. You mean turbo leg? Turbo leg, yeah. Well, and rev hang. You talked about rev hang specifically. The, what am I, <laughs> the old oh one had so much turbo leg. It was so fun. And torque steer. The, yeah, yeah. It, well, I mean, it had so much torque steer that I believe in the first two or three gears, the computer actually limited the amount of torque that was being produced. <laughs> Yeah. Just to, you know, save tires and lives. And, and clutches, like yeah. <laughs> and clutches, yeah. But uh, thank you, everyone, for writing in. We really appreciate that. If you ever have any questions about the podcast or if there's stuff that you want us to talk about specifically or if you just have questions, you can get us uh, online in a number of ways. Sammy is easy to reach on Twitter. He is – I'm sorry, Sammy. At Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And if you want to reach me uh, outside of – traditional means you can get me on social media it's at hunting benjamin on instagram i am on instagram way more than i am on twitter so don't even bother with the twitter just come on instagram look at the pictures and send me questions there or you can email me the old school way uh benjamin at benjaminhunting.com or you can reach us through unnamedautomotivepodcast.com we have a contact page there i believe there's a contact page through itunes etc there's there's lots of different ways to get a hold of us Castbox, google play music on facebook at unnamed automotive podcast we have a page there where you can post or send us messages really uh just 
get in touch. Wow, that was a lot of things to 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 deal with in the, in in that last thirty seconds. It's almost, of the it's almost like I didn't let you say any of it, Sammy. <laughs> Is that because I botch it every single time? It's because you were you were fading in and out of this reality, and I, I needed yes. to make sure I got the information out before that happened. Well, so that I can go back to my reality, uh, I will say to everyone else, thank you for listening, and goodbye. And uh, come back next week when we're going to be talking about, as Sammy mentioned, the Jeep Grand Cherokee. We are going to be talking about the BMW 640 Gran Turismo, which was a surprising vehicle that I drove la the just last week. And we will also be having some fun with uh, press releases. Isn't that right, Sammy? That's right. I can't wait. That's a weird way to end the podcast. <laughs>